you have your Bibles, open them with me to John chapter 13. As we finish out this series that we've uh, been in for the last three weeks, and uh, it's an important series in the history of our church because we're reminding ourselves, refining ourselves uh, as we consider who we are and what we're supposed to be about. We've uh, uh, reimagined or rephrased uh, our mission statements. Uh, read it with me. It's right here on our screens. Uh, we live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. That's the mission of every church since the first church. Uh, they may say it differently, but b- bottom line, if you boil everything down, that's the point. To gather as followers of Jesus Christ, to be the best disciples that God will give us the grace and strength to be. You and I becoming who we're supposed to be in Christ. But then, not losing sight of the fact that that discipleship, that development, our maturity is meant to flow from us to a world that desperately needs Christ. And so, uh, that's what we've been about for 25 years. We're going on 25 years. Did you know that? Next year's our 25th. Amen. Yes, great stuff. And for 25 years, God has used our church to uh, literally see thousands of people come to Christ, to see thousands more discipled in their faith. Uh, We want to continue that. I don't see people ask you how many people go to your church. What do you say? Not enough, because more people need to know and follow Jesus Christ. Uh, we uh, kind of created some rails for this mission to run on. There are values. We, we put them this way. We've talked about these in each of our uh, previous weeks. We talked about how important worship is. If we get worship right, these other things will just kind of follow along. But we worship. We belong. Today we're going to talk about serving. And last week we talked about multiplying. If we do all these things... Uh, and, and, and function as disciples, making disciples as we do these things, this is going to be an amazing church. It already is, but as we get better at these things, we're just going to be an even more incredible church. Uh, because these are the things that disciples do. In fact, you could just take the word we out and put disciples in, and you can see that disciples worship, disciples belong, disciples serve, disciples multiply. If you're wondering, what does it mean for me to be a disciple? Do these things. Live for this as uh, the ultimate in your life. Uh, as we uh, consider the, the world that we live in, we want to be a church that's busy servicing and pointing all kinds of people uh, to the one true aim of life. If anybody ever asks you the meaning of life, as a Christian, you know what it is. To know God and to serve him with your life. To honor him with everything that you have. And so as we seek to make disciples, we're going to be, uh, by God's uh, grace, making disciples of people who don't go to church and don't know anything about him. Uh, as we multiply... Uh, There's people outside of the church and outside of the faith that need to hear about them. But as we multiply, there's people even here right now who are inside the church and yet still outside the faith. Glad you're here. I trust you're on your way. I trust you're here to figure out with us what it is uh, to, to be disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. Glad you're here. We need to make disciples of you as well. Uh, there's a ton of people, probably, I hope not a ton, but there's probably many of us who are here uh, we're in the church, but we're not quite full bore. We're not quite giving everything that we can uh, in following Jesus. We're kind of doing this. You've seen me do this before, right? I'll give you Sunday morning, but the rest of the week's mine. Uh, we want to disciple you, and I'm thankful to have many who are a part of our fellowship here who uh, they're in the church, and they're in their faith full on. I mean, not perfectly. Has anybody here nailed this thing? Anybody got this down? No, nope. nobody does. But you're, you're striving, you're seeking. And our mission is to get every one of these groups of people, those who are outside the church and outside the faith, those who are in the church and outside the faith, those who are in the church and not yet quite fired up about the faith, into this last chair. That's why we exist. So if you're wondering, what am I doing here? Well, if you're in one of these chairs, I want to get you here. And if you're here, I want you to stay here and I want you to grow here and be more of a follower of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to talk about service. Service. Here at this service. (laughs) We use service for all kinds of things. Uh, And there's actually, even in the service of God and service of people, there's lots of misconceptions about service. So let's talk about some of those as we get going. Um, uh, Some people think that we serve God uh, and others because we want God to love us more. or, Or maybe if we do enough, he'll let us into heaven. Uh, maybe that's the key. If I can just somehow, you know, take this teeter-totter and put more acts of kindness and service on this end uh, than my sin is on this end, then, then I'm in. Uh, it's kind of like uh, uh, bringing a can uh, to, a, to a football game. Anybody ever gotten into a football game by bringing canned food to a canned food drive? 
Uh, when I was going to high school, you could actually pay for tickets with cans of food. What a great barter that was. What a great, we need that more in life, right? If we could just go into, you know, Starbucks and here, here's tomato soup. Give me my coffee. That'd be great, right? Uh, but that's kind of what people have in their minds when they think of service. I'll do these things for God and then he'll let me in at the end. Or I'll do these things for God and, and he'll have to do some things for me. It'll be quid pro quo, some karma. We know from the scriptures that this is not true. Uh, there's going to be a circle with a line show up right now. It's coming. Is it there? There it is. I told you. It's not true. It's not true at all. Our acts of service are not some, sport, some form of spiritual legal tenor that we pay to God in return for his love and his admittance into heaven. It's just not how it works. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that it's by grace and through faith that we're saved. It's not about our works. The Bible tells us that our works, not to discourage you from service, but our works are like filthy rags when it comes to us offering them to God. He's so holy and so other that our works don't budge his needle. They could never compensate for our sin. But the Bible's still very clear. God wants us to serve him. He wants us to honor him. Why, why do we do it then? If, if it's not so that we can, you know, uh, appease him and make him love us more. By the way, the love of God spiked at 11. It's never going to change. You can't make him love you more. Does everybody get that? You can disappoint him. I believe that God is disappointed by us and our choices. But his love for you never wanes. It doesn't go away like it does here on earth too often. God's love is perfect. And if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, I believe that your faith is what has sealed you, not your works. If you spend eternity in heaven, it's because you believed right, not because you just did right. Why do we serve God then? Well, we serve because we've been served. We serve our God because he, in his love and mercy, has served us in a way that none of us deserve and none of us could ever achieve on our own. It tells us in Romans chapter 5 that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest act of service ever was a cross. And God served humanity by sending his son. And because he has served us, we are set free in life to serve him. Some people have talked about freedom in Christ in, in ways that I don't think really correspond with what the scripture teaches, Right? Like, like, surely, when we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, he set us free from the penalty of sin and the bondage of sin. Has anybody read this in the Bible before? It's in there, right? But like Paul says in Romans, it doesn't loose us or free us to do whatever we want. In fact, I'll submit this to you. You've gone from slavery to slavery. Some of you are like, oh, I thought I was free. You're totally free. You're free to serve God. You're free to do the things that would honor him in life. You've gone from being a slave to yourself and to your sin to being a bondservant, as Paul calls himself, a slave to Christ. And in your freedom that your faith has found for you, you get to serve him because he served you. See, a lot of people think, I'm gonna make sure I get the right signs here so I don't blow my illustration. A lot of people think that God's kind of standing on the corner and he's saying to us, help me to... I really need your help. Uh, I'd love for you to help me because I'm, I'm helpless. I can't do this all on my own. I need your help. Uh, the Bible tells us that this is not God's position. He, he does not need us. In Acts chapter 17, it says that God doesn't live in these little boxes, these little temples that we make from hand. And God does not need us. He doesn't need us. But he loves us. And because he's loved us, he's looked down on humanity and he's asked this question of us. Need help? Need help? And the overwhelming answer to that is what? Oh, yeah. Now, you may not think you need help because you're doing just fine living here in Brandon, Florida, pulling down your salary and, you know, having weekends to yourselves and all this stuff. But when it comes to your spiritual side, to your spiritual self, you are lost, destitute, unable change the course of your existence. And so God calls out from heaven and in the form of his son Jesus Christ says, here's your help. You need me. Come and serve me with joy. Come and honor me. 
because I've served you. I'll put it this way. There's this uh, lady who's been working at our church. Her name's John, and she's been here for 20 years. We celebrated her anniversary this past week. She also had her birthday on the same week. What a week, right? Birthday, 20 years at the same church. And so uh, I went into her office, and we were talking, and I was, you know, celebrating with her just kind of as a uh, friend and coworker. And she says, you know what, Mark? You know what I really need? I said, no, tell me what you need. It's been a while since we've had your chocolate chip cookies around here. (laughs) Now, some of you are new. I make the best chocolate chip cookies in the world. I'm not bragging. I'm just stating facts. It's just the truth. (laughs) And I used to make them more often and bring them in here. I'm trying to stay away from them. Does anybody know what I'm talking about there? (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, but I said, Johnny, you're right. We need some cookies. And so Wednesday night or Tuesday night, I don't know what it was. Some night this past week, I made a double batch of chocolate chip cookies. I put them all in a nice big paper plate. Looked like Jiffy Pop. There were so many of them. Right to my own full. And I brought them in and I just laid them on John's desk. And here's what I did. I said, John, for all these cookies, here's what I need from you. For each cookie, I want you to do this, this, and this, and this. Is that what I put on the note? No, what did I say? Actually, I didn't leave her a note. So that kind of messes up the room. But what was the heart behind my giving her these cookies? I hope she does all these things for me. No. She's already given 20 years of her life to faithfully serving God here in her role at our church. She's, she's honored Jesus with who she is. I esteem my sister, Jonna. And so because she has served so faithfully here at our church, allow me to serve you. That's, that's what it is. We need to make God some cookies. God has served us mightily, amazingly. We just sang it. Amazing grace. It is amazing. Don't ever be unamazed by grace. And because he has served us, we've been called to a life of serving him. But it doesn't stop there. We serve God because God's commanded us to serve him. And, and, and let me get into this. A lot of times we, we talk about all that God's done for us. He served us. We want to serve him back. But don't lose sight of the fact that God's the boss. He's our authority. And what he says goes. What do we call ourselves? We're Christ followers. We follow after God and his son, Jesus Christ. We want to look like him, and we want to be like him. And we want to respond when he says to do something. And so over and over in the scriptures where Jesus or Paul or whoever writes it says, bear one another's burdens, serve one another with full hearts, be there for each other, honor God with your life. We do it because God's called us to. God doesn't need our help, but God, in his divine planning of things, decided that he was going to redeem humankind through his church. And so he's calling us, the found ones, to go to the lost ones. He's calling us, the found ones, to be servants of each other. He's calling us. He wants us. He commands us to serve him. And so we should serve him gladly seeking to glorify him with our lives. We don't always do that. Uh, Sometimes we just say no thanks to service altogether. Sometimes we we get involved in service and we do it for all kinds of reasons that we shouldn't do it for. Let's talk about service motivations. There's lots of wrong reasons to serve. I gave you a couple good ones there. God served us. God commanded us. How about some wrong reasons? The first one uh, that a lot of us kind of tilt towards as we serve people is guilt. You know, I should do this. If I don't do this, people will think, you know, I'm, I'm something less. Uh, if, if I don't do this, it won't get done. Who said that in their house this weekend? We serve God, uh, hoping uh, that people will think better of us, that God won't smash us. It's from a negative uh, frame of mind that we get involved in service. We shouldn't do that. Uh, another uh, kind of a cousin to the guilt uh, motivation for service is being forced to serve. I love watching families bring their kids up here sometimes to serve. Mom and dad, they're into it. Kids, not so much. Now, some of you guys are awesome and great, but all of us have days where we're like, we're doing this just because, right? We're doing this because we have to. We used to tell our kids, if you want to do anything on a Saturday, you got to what? Clean your room. They cleaned their room so as to leave, not so as to be effective in cleaning. And sometimes it would take them a long time to finally get it up to the specs that we have. But they didn't do it from a heart of joy. They did it because it stood in the way of them having what they really wanted in life. They were forced to do it. 
Call up any uh, helpline for any product. I will tell you, on the other side of the phone is someone who's being paid to listen to you complain. <laughs> they do not care if your, you know, Dimiflitchy works or whatever's broken. Uh, they are being paid to walk you through those, those steps so that you can, you know, turn your iPad back on. They're forced to help. It's not a great motivation for service. But more insidious is this next one, pride. I want to serve for how it reflects on me and, and the glow that I get. It's all the guys who, who stand for the photo op at the, uh, at the breaking of, of ground for any, uh, you know, new building. Anybody ever notice that there? It's all these guys in three-piece suits. It's all the muckety-mucks, the higher-ups. They come in, and what do they give them? They give them a hard hat. They don't even know how to adjust the, you know, the, the size. And then they, they throw them a shovel, and then they all, you know, put the shovel in the ground. They put their foot on it like we're going to dig the foundation. No. I'm not saying that those are evil things. I'm just saying that, that they're not serving at all in digging that foundation. And they're just showing up for the photo op. Sometimes we could serve for the postings that are going to show up on Facebook, for the, for the conversations that will be had by other people who said, you know who was there? So-and-so showed up and he helped. <laughs> Pride is a Horrible motivation in anything that we do for God. It, it completely uh, distorts and warps any worship that we would give our God. Hedonism is a cousin of pride. Hedonism is basically doing um, things to make yourself feel good. It's uh, appealing to your inner uh, desires and lusts. And, and service can kind of fulfill some of the desires that we have to, to feel good about us. Now, we're getting closer to what I would say is an honest or a, an upright uh, motivation for faith, but it shouldn't stop there. Like, if you're just serving for how it makes you feel, you kind of miss the point of service. Because service is not about you. There's some great repercussions, some great residuals that come from service, but you should never serve for how it makes you feel, for how it boosts your esteem. For how it helps you feel like you're paying penance for things that you didn't do earlier in life. <laughs> you shouldn't serve. Another part of hedonism is, is, is serving so as to be served. I'll serve these people so that they'll have to serve me in return. This has happened with every young family who's ever brought a baby into the house. Or maybe not every. I shouldn't be so general. Um, but let's just say that in my home, the husband in the home would get up in the middle of the night when the baby was crying and go get the baby and, you know, in the times that, you know, that we were, uh, you know, nursing, get, you know, bring the baby into my wife, Eleanor, so that she could nurse and stuff like that. In the times that we weren't, you know, Ben was colicky. He, he didn't sleep for most of his first year. And uh, so, so most nights one of us was up. And let's just say that I kept score a little bit. Right, fellas? Maybe even you ladies, right? I was up last night and Tuesday. And then what happens? Elbow in the ribs. Your turn. Now, that's fine. You should share in the parenting duties. But if you serve so as to get out of serving, if you serve so that you can have someone serve you, I think you're kind of missing the point of service. None of these uh, four are biblical motives for service at all. Uh, and you got to understand that the motivation matters to God. He sees our hearts. And so it may look good to everybody else on the outside, but if your service is somehow warped on the inside, God takes that into account. He, uh, he wrote to his, uh, his followers, the children of Israel, and through his prophet Isaiah, and, and, and God said through Isaiah, quit coming to the temple with your sacrifices. I don't want more dead goats. I don't want more bleeding cows. I don't, I don't want you to observe all these festivals. I want your hearts. And so until you give me your hearts, just stay away from the temple. It's an abomination to me for you to do all these things for the wrong reasons. So what should motivate us to serve our God? Once we've understood that we're designed for service, that he's demanded us to serve, we should serve to be good stewards of God's grace and strength in us. 
Look what Peter said to, in the ending of his first letter. He says this, as each of you have received a gift. He's talking about spiritual gifts. When you and I are saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and he brings with himself these specific areas of strength for you and I to exercise within the body and within the world that we live in. He says, listen, as you've received a gift, whether it's teaching or mercy or hospitality, there's all kinds of them, uh, get in one of our classes so you can learn more about them, but uh, as you each have received a gift, a gift, use it to serve one another as what? As good stewards of God's varied grace. The Bible's big on stewardship. Remember the parable of the talents? Three guys were given certain you know, numbers of, or, or amounts of, of, of cash by their master, and the master goes away, and, and the master's expectation was that they would invest those, those, those graces that he'd given them. Two of them did, and he applauded and rewarded those servants. One of them didn't. He just buried it in the backyard. And his reaction was harsh, vicious. He cast him out. He's begging in, in this whole stewardship thing. If I've given you something, use it to glorify me. And he says, goes on, he says, here in these gifts, whoever speaks, they should speak as one who, who is speaking the oracles of God. That's my prayer. Lord, speak through me. If I have forgotten to ask this of you this morning, speak through me right now because I don't have anything to tell you guys. I pray God speaks through you every time I get up here. But look, he says, he gets broader. He says, whoever serves, certainly the gift of service is, is something that some of us are better at, but, but he expects all to serve. And whoever serves, <clears throat> let all who serve, serve by the what? The strength that God supplies. Here, here's his point. Pete is prompted by the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, if God's invested in you certain talents, gifts, certain abilities to honor the body of Christ with, use them. Steward them well. And as you're using them, don't use them in your own strength. Don't use them with wrong motivations to glorify yourself. Don't use them uh, out of your own flesh and will. Allow God to work through you as you serve people. It'll be a huge difference maker, difference maker as you serve. He says, let the strength that God supplies you be the, the, the force behind your service in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in you, amen. So we should serve to be better, better stewards and uh, better uh, surrenderers, surrendering to the strength that God gives us as we serve. But we should serve, uh, you know, secondly, because uh, we love. We should serve because we love. They will know we are Christians by our love was the word there, yeah. Thanks for playing. Yeah, it's an old song. It's actually a verse in the scriptures. It's a, it's a marker of the followers of Jesus Christ. They're lovers. Lovers of God, lovers of each other, lovers of the world outside the church. They just, we are, we are love, or meant to be, love personified in how we live. It was the greatest commandment that Jesus came up with when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love others as you love yourself. It, it's, 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 the, it's the first in all of the lists, in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, right? Uh, faith, hope, and love, these three remain, but the greatest of these is love. It's, it's who we are, and it's because of love that God served us, and it's because of God's love in us that we will serve him and those that he loves. If you're a lousy servant, I'm guessing you're not a good uh, lover of people or God at, in those moments. Because here's what happens. When we have a choice between serving others and serving our God or serving ourselves and we choose ourselves, guess who we love best? This guy. I love me. I love to serve me. I can't be bothered with others or God. <laughs> As we study this passage in John chapter 13 today, we're going to see Jesus, it's a familiar passage, many of you know it, backwards and forwards, but he's going to wash the feet of his, his friends. His disciples are going to uh, needs some uh, cleansing, and he's going to provide it for him. But it's interesting as the story starts here in John chapter 13 to see uh, what motivated Jesus. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, he's getting ready to go to the cross. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What an interesting way to start this story. John, writing his gospel, says, hey, Jesus is about set to go to the cross. He's about to come and, and, and accomplish his mission here on earth. 
But before he goes to his cross, one more chance before his ultimate act of love and service to show and teach his disciples to be lovers and servers of God and others. Because he loved, he loved them to the end. And because he loved them to the end, he served them. What does Jesus teach us about service as he washes feet here in this story? Three things. First one's this. He teaches us that we need to be the somebodies who become nobodies. Be the somebody who becomes a nobody. Love is, is, is what starts the, the service in us. It's, it's, service is the, um, the visual effect of the love that we have in our hearts for people and God. <laughs> but we never get to that love flowing out of us in service if we don't humble ourselves first. If we stop paying attention If we can't stop paying attention to us and our needs and turn our attention to God and those around us and their needs, then service never happens. So we've got to set aside this idea that we're somebody and quickly get to the truth that we are nobody, that we are simply, as the scriptures describe us, Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives through me. What it says in verse 3, skipping down to there, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, stop right there. Pretty good resume. Wouldn't you agree? This Jesus from Nazareth, uh, he's the son of God. He's, he's been given all things. It tells us earlier in the book of John that uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. Jesus being the word, uh, he created all things. Everything was his. And he set all that aside to come to earth and die for you and me. John reiterates that here in the telling of this story. For effect, he's saying, listen, the guy who's about to wash the tootsies is the owner of all things. He is from God. After he's done his work on the cross, he's going back to God. In other parts of his gospel, we know that Jesus is God. And yet God himself, verse 4, rises from supper. And he lays aside his outer garments. I love that John put that in there. Like John didn't have to include the fact that he took his clothes off and wrapped himself in a towel like a a slave, but he did. And he does it because so many places in the Bible describe us putting on Christ as putting on a garment. Of us putting off the old. It's, It's us taking off that old coat, that old man coat, and setting it aside and putting on this new garment, this, this, this Christ-likeness that's symbolized here as a servant's towel. What a great picture for you and me. If you're a Christian, you're a servant. He ties it around his waist. And he pours out water, verse 5, into a basin and he begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Somebody became a nobody and service happened. Oh, that we could learn this. It gets in the way of every failure that we ever experience in, in, in acting uh, as a servant towards God and others. We think we're somebody. We think we're customers. America has taught us to demand customer service, and the customer's always right. And so I'm a customer. When I come to church, I'm a customer. What do you got to give me? What's in here that's going to feed me, serve me, serve my kids? It's like us going to Publix and taking our buggies and driving our groceries. Well, they, they'll even walk you out there to your cars. They're, they're very nice over there at Publix. But, the, but if, if we do it ourselves, we take our buggies. This is one of my top five pet peeves of all time. The person who won't push the buggy back to where the buggies are supposed to be. What is your problem? It's usually like 30 feet away. It's going to take you 15 seconds to do this and not leaving in the parking space that I want to park my truck in. But you know why you do that? Because you see the kid in the green shirt walking around the outside in the parking lot in the heat, sweating his brains out. And you say to yourself, I don't have to serve. I don't have to do this. I'm the customer. I paid for these groceries. Let Junior with the green shirt pick up my buggy. You may not do the wiggle, but you're thinking it in your heart. (laughs) 
We fail to recognize in these moments that we, like I said earlier, are bought with a price. We haven't been given this freedom to become entitled customers in the world that we live in. We've been moved from slavery to sin to slavery to Christ. We're servants. That's why Paul, over and over in his writings, is teaching his churches that he's a part of to serve. He says, bear, verse verse 2 of Galatians chapter 6, bear one another's burdens. What a great picture of service. Carry each other's stuff. You got hard things in your life? You got trees that have fallen down in your yard because a hurricane went through? You got, I mean, it can be literal burdens. It can be emotional burdens. It can be spiritual burdens. You know what the church is sent to do? Pick up other people's stuff. Carry it so they don't have to. Carry it with them so that they can keep going. It's when we do this, it's when we bear burdens. It's when we serve others that we fulfill the law of Christ. Church is commandment, but it's also his person. We become like Christ when we set aside ourselves as somebodies and become nobodies. It's so interesting to me, Paul puts this next verse right next to this command to serve because it says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Are you lying to yourself? Are you telling yourself that you're something when you're nothing? Oh, it's a daily struggle, isn't it? Traffic, come on. It's my road. Why are you driving like a moron? You shouldn't be going so slow. You shouldn't turn left here. We could have made the light if you had just sped up. It's so hard not to think that I deserve. I'm entitled. I'm a customer. This world is about me. If you tell yourself that in your marriage, you're a liar. Your marriage isn't about you. It's about her. It's about him. If you tell yourself that about uh, you and your kids, that this parental-child relationship's about me, you're a liar. It's not about you. It's about you glorifying God and raising them. If you're the kid, it's about you honoring God by obeying them. We've got to guard against deceit. We've got to guard against being somebody's. The story goes on. I'm going to summarize this part for you, but it's a great part. It's where Pete, uh, Jesus comes to Pete, and he says to Pete, hey, uh, let me wash your feet. And what does Pete say? You're going to wash my feet? I don't think so, Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, you don't get this. You don't understand. I'll explain it to you later, but, you know, I, I need to wash your feet. And, and Pete gets very emphatic. He says, you will, and he says it. It's in your Bibles. You will never wash my feet. Remember what Jesus says? Pete, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part of me. Pete totally shifts. Oh, well, then not just my feet. Wash my head. Wash my hands. Give me a shower. (laughs) Got to give him points for pivoting, right? Jesus was talking about salvation. He was talking about the fact that, listen, Pete, we're we're, we're washing tootsies here. But but what's really going to happen is I'm going to go to a cross here in a little bit, just hours from now. I'm going to die. My blood's going to be shed. My body's going to be broken. And it's through your faith and what I've done to forgive your sins that you're going to be a part of me. I have to wash you of your sins. And if you don't understand that, then you can't have any part of me. Pete wasn't, he was in the basin still. And so Jesus says, no, Pete, you, you know, I mean, I'll wash your feet. But, but if you, once you're washed, you're good. I mean, you're missing my point. And then he says this, and this is our second thing that Jesus teaches us about being servants here in this uh, foot washing We need to be somebody who's willing to serve anybody. Look what it says in verse 11. Uh, Actually, I'm going to read you verse 10. Uh, It says, Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he's completely clean. And this this is so key. You are clean, but not every one of you. Whoa. He's kind of looking around the room, and he says, you're clean, Pete, but then he kind of spans you know, the, the whole scene, and he sees all uh, 11 of his friends, right, or 12 of his friends, and he says, one of you isn't. Who is he talking about? Judas. I thought you'd say Jesus, God, Bible there, but good play. It was Judas. It was Judas. Judas was the one who was about to betray him. But as we're going to see, we need to be somebody who are willing to serve anybody. 
Verse 11. It, says, it tells us that Jesus knew who was to betray him, uh, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. And then he goes on in verse 12, and he says, when he had washed their feet, plural, all tootsies, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you guys get what I just did? But don't miss the remarkable service that just went on. Jesus knew that Judas was going to give him a kiss on the cheek in a few hours and send him to his cross. Jesus knew that Judas had been plotting this all along. Jesus had seen in his deity the heart of Judas darken even as he followed him throughout his days. And Jesus still chose as an example to his other disciples to wash the feet of his oppressor. How are you at that? Are you a servant to your Judases? Or do you just kind of write them off? Well, they don't believe in my political values. So I don't have to serve them. They're stupid. They hurt me when I was younger. And I don't have to serve them now because they owe me. They're beneath me. And I don't have to serve them because I'm better. Now, we don't see those limitations placed on the service of our Savior. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 20, as he quotes the Proverbs in chapter 25, uh, Paul writing here, he says, uh, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you'll heap burning clothes on his head. Anybody heard this one? We love the burning coals part, don't we? Let's just skip right to the burning coals, because I'd love to put some burning coals on the head of every one of my enemies, right? But we miss, in our haste, to bring pain to those that we don't like. The thing that brings that conviction, it's our service. It's our willingness to set aside our agendas and our hurts and our pains and to just love um, and serve. Can we all understand that everybody who's sitting here with a faith in Jesus Christ has been served this way? You know the Bible calls us enemies of God, right? Before we put our faith in Jesus, we are enemies of God. And who here is grateful that God has loved his enemies and that he has extended himself to us through Christ? Well, then, if that's him, that's us. That's what we do. Ultimately, we just want to be somebody who serve like Jesus. Look at it, it says, we just want to be somebody who serve like Jesus. If I can just kind of wrap it all up with that, that's our mission. We want to serve like Jesus serves. Jesus says in his discourse there at the dinner table, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because I am. I am your teacher, and I am your Lord, Kyrios. I'm your boss. He says, if then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's foot. He's not speaking specifically, or some denominations have taken this as like a third ordinance. You know, you got baptism, you got communion, you got washing the feet. That's, you know, whatever. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. The next verse kind of points to the fact that he's just talking principles. He says, I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. You should serve. Then he gives the double truly. Anytime you see the double truly in Scripture, underline it. I mean, it's all truth. But he's making a point here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. What's his point? Hey, listen, if I'm your teacher and I'm your Lord, if I'm the boss and I've come here and I deserve to be served more than anybody else in here, but I have set aside my entitlements, I have set aside my somebodiness, and I've become the nobody who's walked around and washed the feet of you nobodies, then that is your mission in life. To find the nobodies around you and become a nobody who serves them to the glory of God. Paul writes about it in Philippians. In chapter two of his book, he says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. How you doing? How you doing with that? He says, let each of you not only look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. How many more ways can he say it? It's not about you. It's not about me. 
And then he says this. He says, listen, just be like Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know what comes next? I'm not going to take the time to preach it all. He says, uh, the Son of God, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, saw equality with God, something that he could not grasp, and he set it aside. He says, just have the mind of Christ. Have the mission of Christ. Have the machinations of Christ. Just do what he did. Think what he thought. Be who he was. And be who he is. I love this story. Uh, It's another part of the Gospels in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, James and John were a couple of disciples, and and their mom comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, when your kingdom comes, can, can James sit on your right side and John sit on your left side? First of all, how embarrassing, right, for these disciples that they had to have their mom go talk to their master and ask for chairs. I mean, how, how lame is that? Guys, don't have your mom talk to your boss for, you know, on a promotion. That's so lame. But she does it, right? And what does it do amongst the other disciples? It stirs up dissension. Why? Because they all want to sit at the right and the left. They all think that there should be a pecking order, and I'm higher than you. And what does Jesus say when he comes into this argument? He says... You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. He says, not so with you. It's just not going to be this way amongst us as we follow God in service. Instead, whoever would be great among you must be your, say it, servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus came to serve us. I'm so grateful he did. And so if we're going to follow him, we serve. That's just what we do. So let's get practical. Can you give me five minutes and I'll try to make this hit the street? One more verse. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6 again. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not get up. He says, hey, man, keep serving. Keep going. There's a time coming where as we continue to sow these acts of service and as we continue to sow a life that is in, in you know, honor of God and seeks to glorify God, uh, we're going to get out of here. We're going to go to an eternal reward of heaven that is going to far blow away any of the pains and persecutions that we've experienced in here on earth as we've served him. Everybody, that's the context. And then he goes on and he says this. So then as we have opportunity... Two things. Let us do good to how many people? Everyone. But especially to those who are of the household of faith. So let me break this down. Here's what I want you to do this week as you leave. I want you to serve everyone. <laughs> Something like, Mark, come on. That's just not even real. Okay, let's get more specific. Husbands, I want you to serve your wives. Wives, I want you to serve your husbands. I'll get to the rest of you in a second. Serve them. Not so that you'll be served. Not so that you get points. Just do it because you love them. Do it because next to God, they're meant to be your ultimate on earth. God's the first. They're the second. Find ways. Think of ways. Conjure ways. Get sneaky about it. To honor them to esteem them, to love them, and to show them through service. Early on in our marriage, I'd do the dishes, and I'd be like, hey, owner, I did the dishes. And she'd be like, you did the dishes. What, you, know, you, you want a medal? I kind of did. I was expecting a medal. But now, 27 years in, we just kind of serve each other. She was driving my truck because she needed it for some stuff that she was doing at work, so I had her car. And it just didn't even occur to me that I'd do anything else except get it washed, get the oil changed, get the squeak in the, in the, you know, in the, in the brakes looked at, and, 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 and rotate her tires. It was just time to do it. And I didn't come home with a note saying, here's what I did for you today, right? I just parked it in the garage. If I call her like I did this morning, honey, I forgot my shirt. It's hanging on the back of the chair. She's not like, well, you're going to have to do something for me this afternoon. She's like, yeah, babe. It'll be in your office when you get there. And it was in my office when I got here. Why? Because she's up here serving you guys donuts and coffee in our cafe. We'll get to that in a second. Your parents, serve your kids. Serve your kids this week. 
Not just because you have to and the government requires you to and you'll get thrown in jail, you know, if you don't. But because you love them. And can I give you just a quick tip on that? If you've got little kids especially, serve your kids by letting them fail. Serve your kids by letting them figure some stuff out in life on their own. Don't do everything for them. That's a, that's a disservice. Serve your kids by preparing them for their future. If they clean up the room, don't do it just because you can, you know, open your door and feel good about a clean room or have friends over and not be embarrassed that the room's a mess. Have them clean their room because they're going to be somebody's roommate someday, somebody's spouse someday. They're going to be on their own someday. Prepare them for that. But serve them. You got neighbors? Serve your neighbors this week. Figure out a way to do something nice for the people on the left and the right of you, across the street from you. Just, just talk about it in the car on the way home. Make a plan. Show them God's love by serving them. You know what I do? My neighbors, the Amazon truck stops out by our gate, so I pick up their boxes and I drive it to their front door. I never stand there, knock on the door and wait for a tip. I just throw them. For, no, <laughs> that's not true. I set them very gently on their stoop. But that's how I want to serve them. I know they do the same for me and have done the same for me. Uh, our neighbors across the way, he just had a heart attack. We didn't even know. He's been in the hospital for a week. He's, they're, they're fairly good friends of ours. So my wife called his wife, and, and, and they finally got in contact, and we found out all this stuff. And Eleanor's first reaction was not, i got to post this online. i got some good gossip here. No, her first question was, how can I serve you? What can we do for you? Can we watch your dog? Can we get your mail? I mean, she went down a long list of things. She finally got to get me a quarter, half and half. That's what this woman needed, a quarter, half and half. We're bringing her half and half today. But that's just what you do. Why? Because you are in Christ and Christ is in you and Christ serves. So you serve your neighbors. You serve your people at work. Who are your people at work? Some of you are like, well, I got a lot of people who work for me and they serve me. No, no, that's not Jesus. They may be employed by you. They may be under you. But here's who you got at work. You got the people over you. You got the people beside you. And you got the people under you. And God wants you to serve them all. He wants you to figure out ways that you can honor them, show them his love by serving them. Serve everyone. Start with these. But do you know what my favorite part of that verse in Galatians is? Especially serve the church. Did you pick that up? Paul elevates the church over everyone. How interesting. Because a lot of times we leave here and we're like, yeah, I'll serve everyone, but don't get me involved in things here. Don't have time, too busy, serving everyone. <laughs> no, Paul says, no, no, no. The body, almost, in his wording there, precedes the everyone. Make sure the body's taken care of before you serve at your kid's ball field. Make sure the body's taken care of before you go and volunteer at the shelter. Or, you know, I mean, these are all great things, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they're not good things. I'm just saying take care of the body of Christ. Serve the household of faith. Now, I look out in this room, I see so many of you that serve. I drove in this morning. I drove past guys who were setting out cones who do it every Sunday morning faithfully without end in the hot, sweltering summer sun of Florida. Thank you for that, if you're, if you're doing that. I walk next door, and there are men and women who have been here long before I got here who have continued to hold your three-year-olds and love them every morning that you bring them here. There's many of you who serve in so many capacities. Thank you for serving. There's many of you who don't serve at all. You're in one of these chairs. You're in the church, but you're not in the faith. You're in the church, but you're like, meh. Not really going to get all fussed out about it. Settle down, pastor. And I need you here. I need you here because as we provide for what God's doing here and as we grow in what we're doing here, then we can grow in what we're doing out there and the kingdom of God can be blessed and filled, multiplied. But it starts with us being able to serve. So two things in that real quick. Serve. We need 16 people to help out on Wednesday nights at Awana because there's way too many kids in Brandon that want to be a part of Awana. Had like 160 kids the first week. It is crazy. But they need adults who are willing to take a couple hours out of their week and disciple them. That, if that's you, sign up at guest services and be there this Wednesday. 
If you've been a life group leader in the past and you're just not, you know, what, I don't listen, take your time, take your seasons. I'm not saying this is not meant to be guilt or forced to or whatever those poor motivations are. But you are commanded by a God who has served you to serve. Figure out where that is and go do it. Figure out where that is and go do it. And then can you do one last thing for me? Can you thank the people who serve you here? Instead of yelling at the guy who's trying to direct your car so that you can get out of here quicker, can you roll down your window like I do most Sundays as they're cleaning up the cones, and I just roll down my window and I said, brother, thank you so much for another day of service. Thank you so much for being out here. You know, just as we close, <laughs> we could serve each other with words. We could serve each other with a smile. We could serve each other with our time. It doesn't have to be some kind of two-hour block where, you know, <laughs> we, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's good too, but service happens in the cracks, man. Service happens when you're not looking. I mean, if, if, if you're just willing to encourage, it's service. If you're just willing to pause and thank, it's It's service. It honors people. It shows them God's love. Do that. Everybody in here, thank somebody who's serving before you leave. Don't thank the paid people. Thank the servants. Will you stand with me? It was fun to be a part of the worship team this morning. We're going to close with this song. It's a song that we sang earlier. It's about our promise maker and our promise keeper. It's about our God. He's a faithful he was faithful to serve us when we couldn't serve ourselves. He gave us his son, Jesus. He's called us to a life of service. May we celebrate his faithfulness and then show him our faithfulness in serving him this week. Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks for a chance to just lift you up this morning, uh, to worship you, to be reminded of your service to us. Now take us into life. Uh, lead us to be servants of everyone. Uh, lead us to be servants of each other here in this household of faith. Uh, use us for your glory and be lifted up through us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.